Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, presented by the tech doctor, Ronan Leonard. Hi, welcome to today's Irish Tech News Podcast. Today I'm talking with Adrian Garzo from uh, Sir Passport. How are you doing, Adrian? Hey, good morning, Ron. How are you? Great, thanks. Well, tell me a bit about, you, about, uh, about your background. Okay, so... Um I have a master's in applied physics from DCU from many, many moons ago. In fact, a couple of decades at this stage. Um, so I've spent about 30 years since then uh, developing commercial software. Uh, the last 15 of that um, under my own banner as in my own uh, business. Um, during that time, I've worked with a variety of clients. Um, some of whom have specialized in um, audits or um, generally speaking in compliance. Uh, and also working with large large volumes of data, um, so the like I'm a seasoned software engineer for want of a better description, but kind of with a different slant on life as well. I guess basically you've been there. You've seen technologies that have uh, come and go. Well, I think technology evolve um, very much. So I know in my first job I developed the database server. Now we just take these things for granted. Um, it's it's fantastic, and it, it's it's all about layering up and, and being able to leverage that I suppose engineering investment, technology investment, and development in bringing any modern solution to the market. But also, occasionally you learn from those who didn't quite make it, and yeah. here you go, why did that not work? And and so it's, it's it, yeah, I mean it's been a long time. Yeah, because I remember years ago in college, back in the year nineties, <clears throat> I was using database three, and that's not used anymore. So it's now SQL, etc. So. Yeah, so like in, I suppose back in the 90s, we were certainly talking about installing um, software on the machine and it would run on the machine. And then we had difficulties in getting it off that machine, talking to another machine or even putting it in a place where multiple people could talk to, to it at the same time. Yeah. And from, a, from, a, from an engineering point of view, that problem is solved. And it's very, very easy now to develop robust applications that live on a central location and are accessible from the outside. Yeah, I can and remember. If, I can, if, if I can say it, sorry for jumping in, if I can <laughs> sorry, say it, yeah. there, there, there's, there's, there's a, like an elastic yin, yin and yang that goes like uh, computing started off on mainframes with dumb terminals and then we got PCs and no servers and then we got work, sta- uh, um, work group servers uh, and, and kind of shared load again. And in a way, we're back to centralized cloud-based um, high-scale. Uh, they're not mainframes because... The functionality is such that you have a huge amount of central um, processing cap, uh, capacity, but you actually also have a smart um, and, and a powerful front end. Uh, what many people don't realize is that the technology that lives in the phone that's in the pocket that we use for making phone calls is more powerful than most PCs that are on the desk. You know, so yeah. <clears throat> I can remember years ago in college, I was learning on a, on a VAX computer to do COBOL and Pascal. And looking back nowadays, that was dumb terminals. Nowadays, we get back to the fact that we have, we're back to the scenario of dumb terminal, whereas all the stuff is in the cloud and we import it down. Well, no, no, we've, we've come past the dumb, the dumb web server. So um, like five, six, seven years ago, most web-based applications would have server-side rendering where you send a request, server assembles, that which comes back into the browser to be rendered. So that, that would be the model very much under a, a brochure-based website because, well, it's, it's, it's easier that way and you can actually um, make that very efficient and, and scale yeah. it up. But for an application, like if you think of it as a concurrent user thing, 
um, if the server has to render every page for every user, you're going to hit limits very, very quickly. And the, the nice thing is that there's a, the engineering is there now to tease these uh, two apart so that the server can prepare the data, but the, the application, in effect, is downloaded and, um, as it's needed um, yeah. to, to front end. And so you're using the horsepower on the on the device, be it a, a, an iPhone or a laptop or, or a tablet or whatever, um, to interchange on, on a data level, which are very small, little snappy requests. Uh, and therefore, the same hardware on the server side can actually scale to maybe 100 times the capacity um, without any, any particular engineering, never mind all the good stuff that we have on cloud, compu uh, cloud computing. Yeah. Because I was thinking years ago when I was using stuff like I used to use CRM software and you, you install that on your computer. Nowadays, it's all, it's all cloud-based, which is great. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and it is great. It's, um, it makes it feasible for, um, for a small company and a large company um, to, uh, like, to just scale and move at a, at a, at a pace where um, you can respond to market needs, but you're not compromising on everything, everything else. And then like, you balance that with, um, like I said, the engineering around what is on the cloud. And now you've got a system that works. Uh, works for developers. It works for the users. It works for the the DevOps guys who yeah. um, spend their spend their days trying to make sure that the, the systems are scalable. But also works for hosting providers because um, I'm I'm sure you've come across various um, tidbits online about the cost of running a data center and, yeah. and even a, a fractional improvement in efficiency in code has has a substantial bottom line impact on the global giants and actually also has a bottom line impact on on our environmental uh, footprint uh, around this stuff because you know if we say five percent on processing that's five percent less horsepower that we need in a data center five yeah. percent less less electricity and heat that we're generating you know so it it it, it just um uh, it makes a difference at scale yeah i can remember years ago if you had a computer and it went and it broke down it had to be replaced or repaired you have to go and reinstall all the software. Now, because it's cloud-based, you just have to log in and you can get back up instantaneously. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, you, you just get another machine, make sure you have your access credentials and off you go. Yeah, because I remember <laughs> years ago where you, when I used to work in previous life, my last job, when I first started there, we had to install Office on, on the computers and it was like 42, 43 floppy disks to install Office. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> You know what? There'll be a significant port, uh, portion of this audience who wonder what the hell is a floppy disk? Yeah. <laughs> um, um, actually, actually, there's a joke um, that did around about a year or two ago, where um, you know, dad dad pulls out this floppy disk and shows it to his son, and son says, "Oh, that's cool! You got a three D printed save icon." <laughs> <laughs> I can remember when I resumed that at times, if one of the disks was faulty, you had to start again and reinstall again. It was annoying. Absolutely, <laughs> I won't use the term online. Yeah, um, but yeah, it was absolute pain. Yeah. So, get, getting back to um, about yourselves, what? How did how did uh, Sir Passport come about? All right. So, okay. So, I've, I've I've been around the block once or twice. Um, I'm a I am a physicist um, by background, but I also have a um, a degree in biology, um, and. That's just context. Um, I'm a dad. 
I've I've two kids. Uh, one's in college, and one now is fourteen, giving me lots of grief. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm involved in his hurling team, so I'm a coach. I'm also um, um, assistant reg- registrar within the club, so I can see it from the admin point of view. But that's more recent. Um, but four years ago or so, I started. Um, I suppose observing different things. I noticed that my son in particular was. Um, He's, he's, he's competent at sport, he's, he's skilled, he's coordinated, he's fit, he's motivated. Uh, he's thankfully an all-rounder academically and otherwise as well socially. But I also knew that even in, the, you know, we're talking fourth, fifth class in primary school, at that stage he was already in demand within the school to go and support teams and play up. Like he, he played under-13s in the school when he was 10 um, in, in hurling. Um, he would also be you know, pick for the football team. He kicks soccer around during the lunch So you're just trying to see that. And when he started nagging me about running um, a park run on a Saturday morning, I went, oh, hang on, there has, to, there has to be something wrong or right in this, right? And um, obviously I've done training through the, the, the GA networks and you see stuff up on the side, you say you have to coach according to the ability of the kid and the age of the kid and a whole lot of different things. But it doesn't really give you enough detail about saying, well, what's right for this kid compared to the other kid? And of course, you don't. You, you can't say, well, actually, no. We can only do three hours of, or five hours, or fifteen hours of three sessions, or whatever it is. You can't be prescriptive about this because some kids can handle that. Some kids, it would be too much, and for other kids, actually, they can do an awful lot more, and it doesn't hurt. It, it's not an issue. So I read, you know, with the science background, that's that's why I kind of pushed a little bit. Um, I read my way back into sports science, and initially it was to answer the question myself me as dad for my son and I realized that consistency is one of the key things so you introduce new workloads gently um, and I don't mean gradually but you, you monitor it and you build up a sustained level of, of, of activity and typically in English it, it kind of would read um, for most for the most part you know if, if, if the amount of sport activity and, and as we quantifying that if the amount of sport activity this week compares really well with the average over the last four weeks that's a good level of consistency and you know there's science there that that says well you know your um, your risks of own injury as in pulling a muscle is then reduced at that level and so forth but it's also self-normalizing so you know it doesn't say exactly well how much you can do or not right it just says well whatever you're doing you can keep doing at that level but the scope in there to build it up gently so now I had a way in my head, anyway, of measuring on the fly what my fellow was doing. But of course, I'm also a coach on the team. And now I'm wondering, how are the other lads doing in this space? Yeah. <laughs> so it still took a while, I'll be honest. It's, you know, the, the, some, some, sometimes it's a bit slow for the light bulb to spark off, but, but it did one evening. And I realized that the issue of coordinating... Um, between the two codes in the GA context, the issue of coordination between what happens in a club and happens in a school, the issue of coordinating that with what any kid, any player, any athlete is doing outside of that framework, and especially if they're if they're involved in multiple organised sports, it's actually the same problem because well, 
if we knew what they were doing, we could measure the workload. And if we can measure the workload, we can figure out if it's a consistent or not. And then we don't have to say, well, we won't have training today because the other code have a match this afternoon and, and we got eight lads in common. You might say, well, the eight lads don't have to come to training. And, and, but we're six lads who actually could do with a, a catch-up session. So, we'll, you know, as a coach, you can start planning ahead and structuring it. So the heart and soul of, of the passport is around, um, sorry, I should say, obviously, that's not an easy problem to solve. <laughs> yeah. um, we're, we're, we're talking about sharing data that, A, doesn't really exist in the real world. Um, people have it in their heads. Mom, you know, mum dropping off a kid would possibly say, Jesus, he's a bit tired tonight, but he had a match in school this afternoon, right? Or the kid themselves might say, oh, what, it's my fourth match this week, you know, you know, and and you and you might only know afterwards that actually it was a school match in the afternoon and it was only on for a quarter. Yeah. You know, so there's a, the, the, there's bits of anecdotal evidence around, but nothing nothing serious. So anyway, um, long and short of it is, it's a complex. It is a complex problem because you have to collect all this data, you have to share it, you have to share it freely, but you have to share it securely. So how you know? So so modeling up uh, security layers and um, and making sure that. Once there's a valid connection, and, and, and the core of that connection is we have a, a player or an athlete profile that is linked to a team. Right? So that's actually a core relationship in sport. Yeah. A team doesn't have to be 15 guys lining out uh, you know, um, on a Saturday morning. It's a squad. It's a more general thing. Mm-hmm. So it could be like when we were in phase one um, post-lockdown and we were talking about coach plus three. You know, So that's... That's a, a squad of, you know, um, the, the three will, will be picked from a squad of maybe 15 or 20 within that particular club structure, right? So, so it's, there's a little bit of looseness about how these things are interpreted, but that makes it powerful. So once we have that relationship, that means the coach who's involved in that squad can access that profile. Yeah. And the parents who are responsible for the athlete also have a certain level of insight or uh, you know, can see the activities coming down the tracks for that squad. So now we have a communications channel. And when the second team, when, when the athlete or the player is, is involved in the second team, so you, you, you take, say, soc- a soccer in the club and he's also playing soccer in the school. And when the school connects in, not only do we have, not only is the, the athlete and the parent in, in the center of that relationship, but actually in an odd kind of way, there's a dotted line relationship introduced because of the passport and the dotted line connection isn't that one side can see what the other side is doing but what what it is is that when the school registers an activity um then um it appears as a unit of workload and workload is shared in both directions so then the workload is also um appears on the club coach's view and that's cool because we colour scores in terms of consistency and how well it rates and ranks. We've talked a little bit about that. And if it starts going into the red because, well, for some reason, this week just seems like a heavy week compared to what this kid is normally doing, then the coach has two, you know, should do two things. Good coaching says when you, when you know something is up, the first thing you do is you have a conversation. So it'll prompt the coach to have a conversation with the kid or depending on the age group, the parent of the kid. The second thing is that there's actually an expand option on that 
where the coach can now see the last the last four weeks of of activity that has contributed to the workload. So they can see like it's it's, it's ranked in reverse date order. So you can see. Um, okay, Grant. So you had a, you know, we have training tonight. You had a, you had a school match yesterday. Um, cool. Okay, so that was out of order. I wonder what's going on there, and and you go back and and you realise that actually he's missed a couple of school training sessions, and that's why everything is out of kilter. Yeah. Okay, so it's information, right? And I, I use the frame about informed coaching. So this is inform- This kind of information is designed to be shared but it's shared in the real world. As I said earlier, mum might actually tell the coach he's a bit tired now because he had a match in school. Yeah. Right. So but by the parent linking the two memberships of teams together, right, that, they were, that's how that dotted line relationship is, is established. And that's proved very, very useful. Okay. So it's the heart and soul of it. It's, 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 it's kind of, you know, obviously you, you start with an idea, you look at it, at doing something that hopefully will make a difference, and and as it as it has grown or as it has established, those initial assumptions have proved not just to be valuable but actually have proved to be the correct model for doing this in sport, and 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 like that's that's where it started. That's you know so it's that's fine. And I guess COVID nineteen has had a large impact on sport. Completely, it was like um, <laughs> like hitting a brick wall. Yeah, um, it was a complete stop. I mean, it was a stop for everybody. It was a stop for everything, right? Um, I mean, mid March, um, I, I think it was the sixteenth. That particular announcement from from the US, from the steps of of where Leo, Leo Bradker was at the time, that just changed everything that we have for you know. Obviously, now in hindsight, for for a good few months, but at, at the time, it just went. Oh my God! So you're also talking about the timing was that um, outdoor sports. So you're talking soccer, GA, whatever. Um, they were all gearing up. Schools were all gearing up to go back on grass. I mean, we, you know, the the the, the weather over the winter and especially into the spring was so wet that we weren't even allowed to get you know get our feet muck, yeah. mucky. So there was such a um, an anticipation of ramping up and and you know. Um, just looking forward to um, the spring and, and playing, and and that's 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 the adults and the kids, and um, yeah, and then you're told, bang, no, right? Now, you know, there's been other things there as well, which in a way may, in hindsight, have been a little bit positive in in that. Um, so obviously, structured and organised um, sports took a major hit, right? But we also saw, well, okay, let me, let, let me start up on slightly differently. I think we were completely blessed with the weather, right? I would yeah. hate to think what, what would have happened in March, April, May uh, if we had had dull, cloudy, wet Irish, you know, a typical Irish spring. Yeah. Um, because what was lovely to see was people going out for walks, for runs, for cycles, and, and all age groups. So... You know, and, and that that's been verified in, in in published research, and it's been verified in various different um, observations that you know the level of physical activity in Ireland just went really went up, yeah. right? But it's unstructured, and it was obviously by definition isolating, right? Uh, so you couldn't go out as a group and do something; you had to do it on your own. 
And now, if I bring that back into in, into sport, and especially um, underage sport or youth sport, and um, the key challenge there is that you have some you have some kids who, of course, have the head and the confidence and the the ability or whatever to go and do their own thing. Yeah. Right? And 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 you know, like I'm, I'm quite aware of quite a few of them that would do it unprompted. Like you go for a walk and you see somebody running around, and and that goes up and down the age groups. So they're never the ones that, that one should worry about. Um, but there's already a divide happening in, in, in sports at, at kids' level in Ireland for sure, which is you've got a cohort that are committed and active in sport and in clubs and, and so forth. And then you have the other, the other end of that spectrum where you've got a strong cohort that... Um, you know, there are serious concerns around their levels of physical activity and participation in, in any kind of sport or any kind of activity. And the difficulty is that's not a continuum, uh, a continuous spectrum. In other words, there's no, you know, for the most part, it's not gradual from one end to the other. So we're not talking, you know, um, potential international athletes through all standards and all levels of participation down to those who struggle to get off the sofa. Um, there's a gap. There's, there's, a, there's, there's a definite um, gap between those who play sport and those who don't play sport. And there's, there's a, it's not just that, but the gap is still widening. So we have a drift from those who participate in sport into non-participation in sport. Yeah. And, and, and the key reference document for that, if you're interested, is the CSPPA 2018 report that was published late last year which is a longitudinal study headed up by Professor, uh, Professor Catherine Woods down in UL. It's also a document that uh, feeds into national policy, but it's a, it's, it's a big document. But the evidence in that is that we still have a serious issue about participation, and we've got different reasons why kids uh, choose to no longer participate, and, and the study is really good at going deep on that. But the reality is that I think we also have an issue, an ex uh, COVID has possibly exacerbated that, where people have fallen out of the habit of going to sport. Yeah. And, some, and sometimes habits are all we need. And that would be very interesting to see how that um, pans out as we resume sport. So. Yeah, and I guess, can your product be used with all sports? Of course. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, the heart and soul of, of, of what Surpassport does is... Um, it organizes activities in it for structure, you know, for structured sport. Um, I, I didn't mention, I kind of mention it or not. Um, a, a, a key anchor point in the processing of their passport is, is marking attendance. Yeah. So I used to mark. I, I used to keep track of like before I did the tech thing on it. Um, I used to have a little A six notebook and I'd have the lads' names in it. I I put a date column across the top and I'd record when they were at training when they came to matches. Yeah. Um, and and the reason is simple. Like we want to know, but we also, uh, you know, the club has an uh, an obligation uh, to have accurate records under under safeguarding, yeah. um, in a very simple kind of way. But there are other reasons for doing this. Well, um, once I realised that um, you know marking somebody as present is a really good thing, well, actually, we send out a little notification after the session is done, but an hour after after training, asking how did you enjoy today? How did you enjoy tonight's training? How did you enjoy today's match? How did you enjoy? Yeah. And, and it's the four smiley faces that we're familiar with at the airport. Well, I haven't seen the airport in a while, but in the airport or in Lidl or, you know, we're well used to these. So and the idea is to keep a couple of things going. 
All right, so um, obviously there's a tracking and a feedback element on it, um, which is great from a coach point of view because, well, sometimes we have coaching sessions that just don't work out, but sometimes you really, there's a pleasant surprise or maybe sometimes you get an early warning on maybe, you know, if there's a pattern starting to emerge, you, you get insight into, you know, again, a prompt for a conversation. Yeah. Um, when, and the reason I mentioned that is like, so these things are standard, should be standard processes within running a team, within running a, an athletics group, within, um, you know, even individual one-on-one training for, for whatever it is. I mean, you know, we, we see goalkeeper camps uh, or goalkeeper specialists um, for, for in soccer for kids, uh, all ages, of course. Um, you know, that's almost like a one-to-one or a two-to-one um, staffing ratio. But you still have to keep that record. But keeping yeah. the record keeping record on some passport also means that we're monitoring and managing workload. So it's multifaceted purpose for, for tracking attendance. And that's that goes across. So um, when um, obviously when COVID hit, I was aware of a few things, probably possibly or probably, you know, whatever, relatively early on, not going to, um, um, but it became clear to me very quickly that um, contact tracing was going to be important. And I said, ah, yeah, that's going to be easy because we have all the data, right? Data is there. Uh, the mechanism for storing the data is there. And that's, that came to pass about three weeks ago when a series of conversations just said, okay, timing now is right to enable this and, and to publish it. So it took a less than, less than an afternoon to put a yellow button um, on, the, on the appropriate places with the appropriate security context to allow contact tracing reports um, to be generated and in essence is sticking a pin back in the, the, the previous two week history about either for a, for, a, for a player or for a coach about the sessions that they had attended, who else was at those sessions what are their contact details and obviously if their kids were not talking the kids contact details we're talking their parents contact details yeah. um, extended a little bit so that we can record guests at a session uh, kind of meant to do that for a long time so again that was all part of that same body of work um and suddenly it's like so passport is, is there it's ready as a um you know for close who are using it they, they have a contact tracing solution because well that's the way their passport works they've been doing this for ages yeah um and and for clubs who want to use it um yeah we can make it easy to get them up and running um but we're also about to um Timescales at the moment are a little bit uh, wavy, but within the next week or so, uh, we will publish a, a secure industry standard um, API that will allow a club officer to authorize a membership management platform or membership management platforms in the general to synchronize members' data with Surpassport for the purpose, you know, to make the admin a lot easier. Yeah. Um, because that's what it's about, you know. Um, so it's it's um, it's a very square um, and, and definite focus for Surpassport on looking after the player and developing the player and making sure that we have a, a complete view of that player within within a, a team context, but linked back out into the, that external context. And uh, management system per se, but of course it has to share some of that data. And um, so what we're looking to do through the API is to make that a lot easier. Now, I guess if you were around in February or March, you could have marked down, for example, the one you won the kids 
was away in skiing holiday in Italy. And when they came back, he would notice that there was a current value was hidden big on those in ski trips. So you could have marked in. Uh, John was on a ski trip, so I think at the moment he should he shouldn't take part. And who was he? Who else went with him from the uh, from the the team? It was a school trip, so you know those kids cannot be around us at the moment and, until they've isolated for fourteen days. Okay, so doing making that decision in isolation isn't the best approach from a data privacy point of view or data protection point of view, because you're making assumptions the whole time. So the first thing is you could have a conversation, yeah. right? The second thing is that actually the process that's being employed by the national bodies at the moment, the sports bodies, is around a self-declaration. So um, essentially it's, it's six or seven questions um, and you're expected to answer no to them um, in, in the main. So it would be, um, have you been near anybody? Have you been in close contact with somebody who has COVID? Have you been in close contact with somebody who has been told to self-isolate? Have you been in contact with somebody who and so forth, right? So um, around that model, then answer password, like that is fully supported again, because well, we have a lot of tech infrastructure from for different reasons. Um, and we have this ability to have questionnaires on the system, and we can link them into different processes. And, and we added that one, or uh, added support for questionnaires into our, are you available? Can you play? Are you coming to training? Requesting process. Um, so the the way it would work today is that um, the coach uh, and players will receive a notification through the system, and if they say they will be available, then they have to complete the self declaration. Um, the self declaration obviously gets submitted and stored um, for that session um, on on the platform. It's it's signaled as being available to the again to authorized persons. So we're talking the the head coach for the session and we're also talking the COVID officers um, within the club context. If the, if the self-declaration um, answers yes to any of the concerns around this, the message to the participant is you should not come to training. So that's not contact tracing, right? That is the self, a, a declaration and an awareness back onto the individual to self-isolate so yeah. you know we have we have to encourage a, a change in social behavior nationally and part of that social change is to to um to retain awareness that we have a responsibility to not infect um our, our, our you know our teammates or our coaches or or and or our neighbors for that matter yeah. um so the, the the way i see the surface the, the purpose of the self-declaration is very much about reminding the individual Actually, you know what? If you're going to answer yes to any of these things, you shouldn't be coming. Okay. okay yeah. And now we don't have a no. There's no potential there for a significant data breach. No data breach uh, because obviously it's legit. But it also means that you're not sharing. I have COVID. Yeah. <laughs> right. You're not sharing. Actually, my brother has COVID, or I've been I've been skiing initially, and I know I shouldn't have been. Um, it, so you're not sharing stuff that doesn't need to be shared. It's the declaration and the um, sign off that's more important. Um, the platform, so password can of course indicate that I'm not coming because I'm ill. Yeah, right. That's fine. Again, um, the individual does not have to say they're ill. They can just say I'm not coming or not coming because you know for other reason, yeah. or they can say I'm not coming because I don't like you anymore. Right. Yeah. They can actually well, that 
hopefully it's not so, so common. Um, so there are mechanisms there. Um, of course, they might be injured. If they, they might just be working and studying, depending on the age groups again. Yeah. So. All right. And do you have plans to take it into other countries? Oh, yeah. Well, naturally. Yeah. Um, so there's a, there's a handful of um, but other countries. You know, you don't have to travel too far. An hour and a half up the road gets you to the next country. Yeah. Um, there's been some very interesting conversations. Um, we have a, a couple of pilots on the boil in the UK. Um, and yeah, yeah. So uh, the what's kind of well, where, where I see <laughs> my my view of the world is that there's nothing really out there like their passport, and I don't think there will be for quite a while yet because it enables that transfer and and sharing of data in an industry that typically tends to hold it very very tight, and therefore I I don't think. I think it's going to be very difficult for anybody else to change their um, technical and commercial position to make it as as flexible and as open as as their passport is. And at the same time, um, you know, it's been a, quite a few years of, of technology investment that's already gone into this, and therefore it's a robust solution. So, yeah, I'm thinking like, for example, in America, if you go to America to try and sell a product, because Ireland is is roughly the size of a small state, you can say we've done it. An equivalent of a small state in America, so it's proven to work. Yeah, so I, I, I have some feelers out, but like everything else, um, making that jump, um, it needs to be a strong story, um, and need to be organisationally ready for it. And in terms of timeframes, yeah, well, listen, if, if it landed on the doorstep, I'll make it happen by tomorrow. That's not a problem. Yeah. Um, in in terms of um, sort of international plans, uh, there's a there's a progression. And I kind of have earmarked where, where I want to be and um, some of it has to do with um, the, um, the the general approach to coaching and sport because so, you know, this is it is team management, but if you use it for team management, well there are other team management systems out there that kind of do what it is and it's hard to differentiate. The value of Surpassport is the is a longer term involvement and, and in player development. And um, that's you know the people we work with are the ones who are investing in their in their talent from an early age, not just to to develop elite players, but also because they know by 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 working properly with eights and nines and tens and twelve and fourteen and sixteen year olds, some will actually naturally become um, elite um, standard players. But it's more important that the rest are looked after, are developed, and retain a strong level of participation active participation in sport and and when they finish and they retire and they become oldies or, or parents themselves that they're still involved at club level or maybe themselves then become coaches so you're, you're talking a lifelong involvement and that's that's the that's the prize and you get your providing tools to help that as well which is important yes so that's like that's our guiding light you know yeah. what, what we do has to bring us closer to that if it doesn't we kind of Look at it and going. Uh, okay, can we spit? Can, can we twist what we're trying to achieve in a way that actually brings a benefit back onto that center center path? And that's really what's what's happened over the last uh, two and a half years or so. And the best thing is, if in the past you use a pen and paper to uh, write down information, at times you could easily lose your uh, the paper. But with this, because it's basically stored elsewhere, it's never lost. No, and obviously we have um, there are data re- retention policies um, and 
the various criteria that, that we need to respect, um, I suppose, uh, within the legal frameworks that are uh, GDPR and Data Protection um, Act. But there is a, there's obviously a legitimate reason also for keeping archive um, records. So, you know, results and matches and people who scored games, they become history books in time. So, you know, there's, there's a complex data ownership over it. The re- one of the key reasons that um, attendance has also been so important for me personally, not for me, sound wrong actually, but uh, why I've put such an emphasis on attendance is that there's a strong requirement to be able to go back over long-term records for, for safeguarding reasons. And you know, one shouldn't shy away from keeping those records because those records uh, may make a difference to somebody's future or past at some time. Because I guess if you get somebody, for example who doesn't turn up to half the games and suddenly that person is is offered a contract to become a pro footballer. And if you can check back and see, well, how did they do when they were younger? Were they dedicated enough or did they attend uh, much training? Gives you an idea of, of the okay, person. Well, you know, again, we have to look at permissions around that because sometimes um, it depends who's sharing that information and yeah. who's got rights to share that information. Okay, so again... My guiding light is also about making sure that we that we don't do things um, um, flippantly around. Oh yeah, grand, yeah, of course that'd be useful. And then you realise there are un- unintended consequences around doing that. That said, um, we're working with a couple of academy structures, and the idea again, we're talking about long-term player development, and the idea behind that is that that authorised users can accumulate a series of notes and comments as well as data metrics and. Yeah a whole raft of information and they're building up a body of knowledge within the organization that um, allows them to make decisions when the time is right. Um, that thing about going pro, um, yeah, well, hopefully performance in the public space as in, um, you know, be it on a basketball court or be it on a soccer pitch or whatever it happens to be, um, that speaks for itself and the investment in the player isn't based on their historical I would be part, like, like in any recruitment process, it's going to be part of a, a, you know, a, a reasonably complete um, um, recruit, again, recruitment process in the HR sense, but also perhaps to look at it from, um, you know, I mean, there's a courtship involved and, and in a modern environment, it's as important that the, um, the player is as happy playing with the club as the club is happy to have the player. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, it, has to be, it has to be a meeting of minds. You would also guess if, for example, you have a player who, who at a young age was breaking goal scoring records and he kept doing that, you get a record of that so you can say, oh yeah, when he, when, when he was 10, he was scoring, he scored 30 goals a season or 20 goals a season. Actually, the evidence is not, the, the, the academic literature actually points that that does not constitute a, a prediction and, and there's, a, there's a lot of challenge around that. Um, you have to think that at the age of 10, biology has a huge role to play in the success in sport. Yeah. Okay, so you, you take three kids with equal equal talent, right, raw talent, even equal training time, as in they've all had five or six years in sport. The three kids are age 11, less, 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 or maybe 12, right? A, pick, pick a number, any number. Yeah. At the age of 12, if they're boys, at the age of 12, one of those kids will look like a 12-year-old. One of those kids will look like a nine or a ten year old okay and one of those kids will look like a 14 or 15 year old and a 14 or 15 year old is a man yeah and you take the nine year old or the ten year old by body right 
how can the two of those compete in any fair way? And you, you, certainly in, in, um, in Gaelic sports, for example, that 15-year-old has such a height advantage that they will, catch, they will snatch. Like, the, other, the other guys are just jumping up. They can't reach to, to, to catch either a big ball or a small ball. Okay. Yeah. And, and if you put them on a pitch and you say, okay, lads, I want you to run 40 metres and let's see who gets to the end. Well, I'll tell you what, the 15-year-old is going to get there first. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So at, at, at that age... If you start saying, oh, yeah, well, he's a great goal scorer, well, you know what? He was probably a foot taller than everybody else around him, and he just played through them. And yeah. I've seen that. I, you know, um, the challenge is that's not a predictor of final ability. And, and it's not just me saying it. If you look at what Belgian uh, soccer have done in terms of how they develop the players with uh, what I call um, biology or maturation as a context, um, they went from being in the doldrums back in the year 2000, 2001, to being FIFA ranked number one national um, soccer um, system. Mm-hmm. They also finished third in the last World Cup. And five of the starting 11 at that World Cup had never featured on an academy system. They had never, on a, on a competitive academy, they'd never featured on an on a underage um, international squad. But at the age of 20, 21, 22, they were first picks onto that squad because they came up the hard way. And what the Belgians have done is that they have a, a long-term pathway for players where they look at those who are currently, they call them performant, um, um, they are, they're the ones who are competitive. And if, sure, yeah, you have to invest and, and they have potential. There's never a question around that. Okay, But they also had what they call the future team. And that was the... You know, the 12 or the 10-year-olds in that age group by, by, by body size or weight um, who have the same talent. They just physically can't compete with those heavier, heavier, taller, bigger, stronger lads. You know? And they're developed at different paces. So it's, it's almost like a leapfrog. Right? So, so as, as that um, puberty-based stretch happens, they had an academy system or a development system for those who were on the stretch and they had a system there for those who were going to catch up. And by the time everybody's 18 or 19, guess what? The two are biologically level again, and now you can roar ahead. But the chances are that the later developers are the ones with the higher skill level because they've always had to work harder. They've always had to run that bit. They've had to be smarter. They've had to, you know, they actually have a, a, a stronger pathway in a way. So the challenge is also there in reverse, where if you're looking at uh, the early developers, because they have such a size advantage, it's easy for them to become complacent. It's easy for them to become sloppy. It's easy for them to become lazy because physical prowess has helped them all the way through. And it's a real challenge for them as their peers start catching up. They, they suddenly don't have the space on the pitch. They, they suddenly can't reach as high anymore and they can't run as fast anymore compared to the others. And that can get into their heads as well. So, you know, puberty is an interesting time, which is why I'm hoping... So passport can help make a difference for that particular age group, um, obviously across the board, but particularly the 10 to 14 year olds. I think there's a lot of work that we can do uh, in bringing good information to coaches and make a difference. And, you know, so it's not just about developing, it's also obviously retaining them in sport. A retained player is a member in the club. A retained player might actually become a senior player. You never know some of the, the retained players who've, who've come the long way up could be the star in the senior team. And um, and yeah, so it's it's, it's hopefully win 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 all around. Uh, that's that's great to hear. And Adrian, thanks so much for that enlightening call. 
and good luck in the future. And uh, hopefully one day uh, you'll be all over the world globe trotting, promoting this great, great product. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So that'd be cool. Well, listen, thank you very much. Um, it's been great chatting. Um, and I know I've probably went a bit on on some of the That's particular topics, but but um, listen, um, really appreciate it. And sure, we'll, we'll catch up for a, for a coffee when when circumstances permit again. All right, you take care. Thanks a lot. Have a good day. You too. All right, thank bye. you. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.